0: Welcome to Church in the Wild. My name is Seth Trimmer, and today I'm joined by Lindsay Schnell. She's a former sports writer for Sports Illustrated and a current sports writer for USA Today. She joins me on the podcast today to talk about life and sports and faith and her journey over the last couple of years. I know a lot of you are really gonna be encouraged by a lot of the things that she's went through and learned in the process. So without further ado, enjoy this conversation. Lindsay Schnell, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you, Seth. I'm very honored.
0: Yeah, this is going to be fun. In fact, uh, I've been just had an itchy trigger finger on this record button now for a while. Because <laughs> since the second I walked in your house, my friend and I we, we showed up and we set up and set it up, and and we've already been talking shop. We have. And you've already covered a lot of really cool material.
1: I'm happy to say it all again. We're going to have recording.
0: <laughs> yeah. So we're actually just sitting uh, here in uh, the middle of uh, what is it,
1: January? I think. I'm not really sure what day it is. You know, I've been on the road two weeks. Uh, When I went to the airport the other day to check in, the lady's like, where are you going? And I was like, you know, I don't remember, to be honest.
0: (laughs) All you need is your gate. That's all you need to know. Uh, But the national championship game did just happen. That was somewhat recently.
1: It was. We are recording this on Thursday. I think it's Thursday. Thursday. And the national championship game was... Monday night into Tuesday morning because it kicked so late back east in That's Atlanta.
0: Right. Are you an Alabama fan? Are you an SEC fan?
1: So at all, I was worried the game was going to be really boring, mm-hmm. um, and I thought we were looking at you know three nothing, maybe a two nothing walk off safety. Mm-hmm. Uh, both these teams played more offense than I knew they were capable of, and it actually turned out really awesome. You know, you bring in this. Freshman quarterback who's really only ever played when they've had huge leads, and he leads them to a national title. Yeah, it was awesome. So no, I mean I have a lot of respect for Alabama, but uh, as a reporter, like you don't root for teams. Yeah, I
0: was going to ask that. You know, can't I mean is that like an ethical conflict?
1: Yeah, it would be. I mean, so what I always say to people is, uh, you root for good stories. And no overtime, because you're Cause, inevitably cause you want to get on to deadline. <laughs> that's right.
0: That makes a lot of sense. And then
1: I root for people who are nice to me personally. Oh
0: uh, well, I think. I think who that's fair. Do, who doesn't do that <laughs> a little bit?
1: Well, sometimes I've said to other reporters, like they'll be, they'll say something like, "Oh, I want so and so to win." And I go, "Really? That coach is not very nice to you." <laughs> <laughs> so, but no, as a no, I'm I'm yeah. impartial. I don't I don't have a dog in the fight, you know. And yeah. even though I can understand, because I grew up a sports fan, that's how I sure. became a sports writer. I'm not, like, destroyed when a team that I like loses. Right. And I'm like, oh, that stinks. And then I get over it the next yeah, day.
0: There you go. Uh, Tua. Tua. So cool. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, first off, how amazing is it that a coach would send a freshman quarterback? And, I mean, I, I wasn't following Alabama for most of the year, just on, a, like, a 10,000-foot level, just in the college landscape in general. So that was a name I wasn't even familiar with at all. But in a national championship game, to send out a freshman when you're down. Right. Um, and then he ends up this massive hero. But uh, I guess the cool part about this is is uh, you knew Tua before yeah. all this happened. How did that happen?
1: Yeah. So, uh, okay, so I work at USA Today now. Right. But I spent the last three years at Sports Illustrated. And when I was at Sports Illustrated right after Marcus Mariota from Oregon won the Heisman, mm-hmm. he gave this very emotional... Acceptance speech at the Heisman and kind of issued a call to young Polynesian athletes. I remember athletes that.
0: Yeah, I remember and that. And said, you know, yeah. I want you
1: guys to go after your dreams Calling and out to all the Polys. Yeah, and, yeah mm-hmm. and it was really cool and very inspirational. So, I used that as a jumping-off point to go to Hawaii for work. You, yeah, do, like, that. you like do that. Like you do that quite a bit. Like so. you, yes, I
0: guess. <laughs> like we need an excuse. Exactly. I've still I've still said on all the work trips that I've taken to Hawaii, and I've actually taken a few. I I just uh, had a recorded a podcast with Billy Lyle, my good friend from Hawaii, so I go out there and teach for them. I've still yet to go to a beach when I'm on a work trip.
1: (laughs) The first time I went to Hawaii was on a work trip. It was when the Beavers went to the Hawaii Bowl in 2013, 2014. Okay. And, um... I remember sitting in my hotel room writing this tweet about, oh, people think it's so glamorous you're going to Hawaii. I've only been in my hotel room, and all <laughs> these people from the office text messaged me that no one feels guilty yes, to for you right. and stop explaining. I don't get a whole lot of sympathy <laughs> right. for going to right. I
0: don't. Even though it can be hot, it can be muggy. There's high crime there, like at least in Honolulu area, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, uh, and uh, so I'm not usually in the touristy areas. I'm in like the real areas. Right. Uh, there's all kinds of, but no one wants to hear. Yeah. It.
1: <laughs> so anyway, no so I so I pitched this. How did Marcus Mariota change football in Hawaii? You know, right. forever. Like from a X's and O's standpoint, coaches would always go to Hawaii to recruit. There's been linemen, a lot of
0: players that come out of Hawaii,
1: but it's always been linemen. And so mm. when Marcus won the Heisman, it was very That's much. True. Now you can go there and get skill players. So I went, and and also Hawaii, under June Jones, had been very, very good back with um, Colt Brennan. That's his name? Yeah, the quarterback. Uh, yeah. So I went there. I wrote this three-part series. First part was on can Hawaii get its mana back. Uh, and then the second part was kind of an overview, like 40,000-foot view of how Marcus had impacted young Polynesians. And then the third piece was on... Tua, Tonga-Vailoa, who was hailed then as the next Marcus Mariota. Interesting. And I wrote this very in-depth profile about him and his family. Of course, they are Polynesian. His dad is from Tonga, and I think it's Tonga, and then his mom is Samoan, if, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. He had been very close with his paternal grandfather within, you know, Polynesian culture. I mean, I, I went over to their house for... Church service, basically. In their house? They, yes. Every night, they would have family dinner. Every and would, night? And it was like church service. And so I'm sitting there with, I think there were 40 people there between aunts and uncles and cousins, and they're singing these beautiful Samoan hymns. And the whole time, I was like, oh, I wish I had podcast equipment with me. What is the
0: Samoan language? Is it in native language? Native Samoan?
1: Yeah. Is, like that, is it
0: just called Samoan? That's
1: my understanding. Okay, I think yeah. there, there are different... Dialects. Yeah, yeah. You know, This is not to, my area. I'm going to have to Google
0: that. Yeah.
1: But uh, Billy, who's in the room, gave us a resi- thumbs up that we're right. <laughs> Our
0: resident Hawaiian has given us a thumbs up. <laughs> Thanks, Billy.
1: So, anyway, I, um, I wrote this big piece on him. He had been heavily influenced, like I said, by his paternal grandfather. Within Polynesian culture, it's custom for the grandfather to actually name the firstborn son. Mm. And so his Grandfather had actually picked the name Tua. I had this big thing about what his his full name means. Tua is actually his sh- very shortened. Yeah, yeah, name. I, I know. That. I know that can't be his
0: full name. Yeah. So
1: when he went in, you know, and okay, yes, it was surprising because he's a freshman and it's a national championship. Mm-hmm. But Jalen Hurts can't really throw, and most people who follow football know that. And they were down, and they needed a yeah, that's right. They needed right. a downfield passing thread, and yeah. he went in. But it was so funny because. Right when he goes in, first of all, another college coach texted me who had recruited him and said, our boy, too, is about to become a legend. I couldn't believe how right that coach was. But then, you know, he, he throws a pick in the middle of the third quarter. Nick Saban is losing his mind on the sideline, yelling at As him. As he does. And... Tua walks over, puts his arm around Sabin, and he goes, "Coach, it's gonna be okay." <laughs>
0: he said was, that. Yes. Like, how do you how do you know that he said that?
1: <laughs> I saw because we have TVs in the press box, so I saw it, and they replayed it, and then I texted his high school coach, and I said, "Are, are you watching this? Did you see him say that?" And he goes, no, "Yeah." And
0: The freshman quarterback goes to stinking Nick Sabin and says, "It's gonna be okay."
1: Exactly, and it was such a it was like that laid back. Oh, Hawaii that's that attitude. is Hawaii
0: to the core, man. <laughs> no, that's the local spirit. <laughs> man. That's Aloha right there.
1: Oh my gosh. And the best part was when I asked Saban about it afterward, he gave this great answer about, cause what had happened was Tua had thrown a pick. It was supposed to be a running play Okay. and he didn't get that signal uh. and all his receivers were blocking. He threw a ball to a receiver who was blocking. Yeah. <laughs> that's why it got picked off. Yeah. So it was really cool for me because I have, I think a lot about it as a reporter. There's nothing like when someone that you know a lot about does this incredible thing because you have all this Institutional knowledge to draw on. So yeah. I incorporated all this stuff that I had written about before. I talked about Marcus. You know, I was able to ask Tua really specific questions because probably 500 credential media members at the title game. And I'm very confident that no one knows Tua as well as I do.
0: Yeah. That's really fun. Yeah. I mean, I mean, what are the odds of something like that happening in a situation, you know, where
1: the best part you is you actually that know someone that well. When you're in that situation, when you're at a title game, when you're at a bowl <clears> game, <throat> yeah. you and five hundred other reporters, it's really hard to write different stuff, original stuff.
0: Absolutely.
1: And after a crazy game like that, when you're on this I mean, I think we were on the field around 1.30. I think the game got over about one ten. How do you write? I mean, I'm like none of us are making our deadline, but we don't want to be, you know, writing for 10 hours. So I was really happy with what I wrote, which is a very satisfying feeling in that environment.
0: Just as a side note, is there a place where people could go and actually read that? Is it still posted somewhere online where people could find it? Yeah,
1: definitely. I'll I'll get
0: that link from you and we'll put it in our show notes.
1: That would be great. Um,
0: if anyone's so actually official. interested. Yeah. Well, yeah. you know, it's kind of the easy way to... Usually people, when they're listening, they're multitasking, you know? Totally. So, um, but yeah, well, that would be really fun if you yeah. actually want to go and follow up on that. I'll
1: send you both of them, the bigger piece I wrote on them, and then the follow-up, I guess, yeah. from Monday night. Yeah.
0: Very cool. I'm really interested. One of the things that you were talking about before we, we pressed record on this is... Um, you were talking about how, you know, Polynesian culture specifically, especially for, for Marcus and for Tua being raised in such strong uh, families and really uh, positive influence, Christian influences even, yeah. you know, so there's that whole part of it as well, but that, how reluctant they are to talk about themselves. You know, I just always remember, like, it, uh, as much as I, you know, it's not like a secret how... I feel about the Ducks, you know, down <laughs> at the University of Oregon. For those of you listening, they're the biggest rivals to, to the university I went to. But it was so hard to not like Marcus. Yeah. You know, I mean, such a, like, a just a good dude all around. And believe me, you look for every possible reason that you can to not like someone or to poke holes in their sincerity or whatever you can. And you just never really seem to be able to do that with, with Marcus. Because uh, word gets around. People know him and so on and so forth. And they'll give you the scoop on who's the real deal and who's not. And he always was. But he was so... Boring, Yeah. In interviews and anytime you had to articulate anything and Tua, like, it's, you know, you kind of get the same little sports cliches yeah. and a shout out to Jesus, which is cool, you know, but, you know, um, but you actually had a little bit of insight into
1: yeah, well, why I think, that is, you know, in Polynesian culture. And I, I think people don't understand this in a lot of ways until you go to Hawaii. And like you said, not just hang out in Waikiki, but right. you go to like the real part of Hawaii, yeah. um, and spend time with those families. They just, they're not about themselves. I mean, there's so much about their family, Very the family, family. Ohana. dynamic, yeah, right. um, especially if you're the oldest son. It is like a great honor that falls on you when you get to a certain age that you become not just the man of the family, but the one that's going to take care of the family. And not mm. just in a, from a monetary perspective, but... You would do anything for your family. Yeah, you take
0: responsibility. Yeah, Yeah. I
1: wrote this piece when when I was there. This was like an anecdote in my piece that there was this guy, Maake. I cannot pronounce his last name. But he was a lineman in the NFL. And his dad had this very rare blood disease or something or needed a kidney transplant. And Mm -hmm. he was a match. Okay, they had the type of money that they... I'm sure they could have found someone to match him. Mm -hmm. And he was like, I'm doing this. He left the NFL to come home and give his dad a kidney. And... You know, this is someone that was making millions of dollars playing professional football. And I said to him, why would you do that? And he said, I'm the oldest child. This is why would I not sacrifice for my family? Wow. It's very not what we have on the mainland. (laughs) So that's and that's a huge part of why coaches love recruiting uh, from Hawaii Mm. because they are. They believe in self-sacrifice. Yeah.
0: No, they're great teammates. They're I mean, I can awesome. say that from firsthand experience. Yeah. Yeah, Polly's were some of the yeah greatest And dudes. they just
1: don't like to talk about themselves. They believe that that is yeah. wrong and selfish. And, you know, yeah. the, the politeness even extends into, did you hear about this a few weeks ago? The Titans lost a game, and Marcus criticized the officials, I think is what it was. Mm. And uh, his mm. mom called him.
0: Yeah, and like
1: was like, you do not talk about people that way. And the next day, Marcus apologized, and all these reporters were like, "What the heck?" And I'm like, "You guys, that's just who he is."
0: Yeah, it's so cool. Yeah, Um, it's very refreshing. Yeah, my experience with with uh, you know Polynesians, Hawaiians, and that's a very broad brush, obviously, because you have multiple different within Hawaii. I mean, that's just you know, there's a myriad of Mm -hmm. cultures represented there, so it's it's way too broad. To say Hawaiian, technically, is to speak of the actual cultural ethnic Hawaiian people. So yeah. it's actually somewhat offensive going there and just labeling <laughs> them all Hawaiians, you know, because um, yeah. there's Tongan and there's Samoan. And then right. you have your Filipino, Korean, right. Chinese, you know, Japanese, um, all that put together. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's it's really, uh, it's just so incredible to me that, that they would come and they were very high energy. So there was passion on the field, but it was... It wasn't self directed, right. like, or reflected, trying to bring it back into themselves for attention. They were just passionate about what yeah. they were doing. And that's very different from what I would say the general American sports culture has become, for sure, where it's all about personal brands, you know, right. even self promotion, self-promotion, end zone celebration now, which is all about. Self-expression is maybe the positive way to describe it, but it, it's, it's really individu- individuation, attention on an individual, not glorification of team. Even
1: right. today, Tua tweeted something about, if you're saying anything mean about Jalen Hurts, who had been the starting quarterback up to that point, you're against me, too. He's my brother. We Sheesh. got here together. Sheesh. I mean, and, and he's that's an 18-year-old. That's Yeah,
0: <laughs> very young. Which that shouldn't be. He's 18. I get that we say that now. That should be an adult. Like he can vote. (laughs) Right. You know, he can go to war. He can do a lot, you know. But yeah, no. So and then Jalen Hurts. So that's so his response. That's awesome. How do you do that? I mean, what's your take on that? How's, how sincere do you feel like that was?
1: Oh, I think very sincere. He yeah. was asked about it. I mean, he
0: a... w- Just to clarify, he was celebrating, congratulating Tua. He was genuinely happy. There wasn't a sense of anything yeah. like I well, wasn't in or anything like that. I mean, Jalen no Hurts,
1: Hurts got them to the championship game. Right. He led them to two straight championship games. I think he's aware of that. But he was asked. In, but then
0: you don't get to finish the championship game? Like I mean, but he... How many guys would actually be happy and jumping around celebrating, praising the guy that came in and replaced them?
1: Right. Well, I think there's a very good chance Jalen Hurts will transfer, not because he's selfish or not a good teammate, but But because he wants to play. That's right.
0: He wants to play. But
1: he was asked about it um, afterward in the locker room. You know, what did you think? And he goes... Uh, coach Sabin is in charge it was an executive decision and we won a national championship Oh man and he was it was almost like this is a dumb question we just won a national title why would I be upset
0: (laughs) that it just seems like a level of selflessness that is so gone culturally and certainly athletically anymore
1: right I would agree although that's they win a lot that probably is part of why
0: (laughs) that doesn't hurt does it um yeah some teams are able to win but not perennially like that. You right. can bust off a season or two here and there. No, Saban not.
1: is an evil genius. I mean, he's just. Evil genius. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so many people just hate <laughs> him. But, um, no, he's he's incredible. I mean, he is. I don't really think there's an argument. He is the greatest college football coach of yeah, all time. Yeah, yeah,
0: Yeah, tied Bear Bryant with that national championship. Mm-hmm yeah oh let's let's uh, segue there a little bit because the idea behind all this is just you know the stories behind a lot of these players so there's the game that's going on but then you spend so much time and energy actually invested into the stories of a lot of people. And I've, I've, I'm really interested to hear you talk about your passion of, you know, you're more than just an X and an O's or kind of statistician, kind of a person, you know, um, there's a lot of just I actually
1: find that quite boring. Yeah. <laughs> I
0: mean, it just seems like that is so much of popular sports talk, sports journalism, right. Is just critiquing and cutting down who's rising, who's falling, but you've always seemed to cover maybe the more, I don't know, human side of things. Um, which for me as a former athlete, like that's the thing, obviously that, Really grabs me and matters to me. And I always felt dehumanized and commodified, mm. you know, uh, particularly in college sports, you know, and that was tough. It's a dissonance between a yeah. sport like you played when you were a kid and then you loved, and now I'm just like, a cog in a wheel. Yeah, I'm a cog in a wheel. I'm, I'm just a, a vehicle to make money uh, for a university, so to speak. Um, what got you interested into that side of sports and telling stories? Like, yeah, I'd love to hear about that.
1: Well, I think that when I was so I always wanted to be a writer yeah. from the time I was like in the third grade. Yeah,
0: and tell them your life goal. Uh, Would you mind telling them your life goal?
1: To write for Sports Illustrated. Like, no, no, no. Was-
0: no, like you, you have this life mission. That you've told me before. Well,
1: I want to be one of the great storytellers of my generation. That's
0: it right there. I love it. Um, Someone needs to take notes on that because (laughs) that's just a goal you'll chase for the rest of your life. More people need to live with that kind of a vision.
1: Yeah, and I don't even know what that looks like ultimately, but I know I'm nowhere close, so I need to keep working at it
0: yeah I think well I think that's the point
1: but uh so I just always loved stories you know I had a really good imagination when I was a little kid loved reading and then as I got older and I loved sports and I kind of found out I could meld the two the the pieces that I would read that I loved the most were ones that set a scene and tell a story and just made you relate to an athlete about something and I always thought that's what I want to do and I think we have a tendency in our world to put athletes up on a pedestal you know we worship athletic greatness and not, you know, and we don't worship like doctors the same way or scientists the same way. It's, you know, yeah. if you're an athlete, like, Oh my gosh, you're incredible. Yeah. And don't get me wrong. They, they are, and mm-hmm. they have some incredible feats. Yeah, but what we I, are. We definitely are. <laughs> yes. I will accept of it. course. On behalf of um, all athletes, I will accept that. But what I think about is like, how can you make someone relate to that who's not athletic mm. and how can I write a story about for someone who doesn't care about sports that wants to pick up the paper? Um, I always thought that was my greatest strength. Um, when I was at the Oregonian was I could write things that tugged at your heartstrings yeah. and that's the stuff that's memorable too. And I think about for me, cause I was a high school athlete and I was a collegiate athlete for a year. I was a rower at Oregon state. There you go. Um, the people that impacted my life, like it wasn't about, The night I scored X number of points, it was always the off-court or Mm -hmm. off-field stuff. So that's what's always appealed to me. And then it's just like life is about relationships, and so I'm fascinated by that. And then I was very fortunate early on in my career to cover a coach who embodies that in mike riley and i got yeah. to see that up close mike riley
0: was the head coach at Oregon State. At he was oregon actually State. the coach that recruited me yes. to
1: play football at oregon State. have i told you about when i asked him that one time no you had given a sermon that had just really resonated with me and it had been about something that mike and i had talked about before and so i was at practice and i was like mike do you know who seth trimmer is because i knew that you had played under erickson and he's like do I know? I recruited him, yeah. Lindsay. He got so <laughs> mad. <laughs> and I was like, oh, well, you should listen to this. Like, But um, so, you know, I, I learned a lot from Mike Riley about just valuing people.
0: Yes.
1: And I just have this, like, deep desire to share those things and to share those stories. And I think especially, I, I mean, I would assume this is true in the, around the world, but especially in America, like, we love a comeback story. Yep. We love to give people second chances. Yep. It's all, I mean, it's all about like the hero's journey, right? Like every good story, no matter if it's journalism or fiction or on TV is about someone overcoming something. Right. And that's what I think about.
0: That's the best of sports because in some ways it's speaking to life, you know, you know, and I've hearing you articulate things that way, just makes so many things click in my mind. And it's probably why you and I have just resonated in a lot of ways professionally I I guess I see my role as exact the same way. I take my passion for Jesus in this instance, and Mm -hmm. I'm always thinking about how do I communicate that passion to someone who has either no idea who Jesus is or what he's about or is completely disinterested altogether in Jesus Mm -hmm. and communicating something, particularly about the scriptures. Yeah. um, That... So that. How do you
1: find a way in? How do you hook Yeah, how them? do you find a way in, right? The first sentence is yeah, very important. Yeah, which maybe
0: <laughs> that's why you and I get so bored with all the sports talk, because it's just sports talk for sports fans.
1: Yeah, I think that's big. You know, I'm one of the. So I'm a big basketball junkie, and I'm kind of the rare basketball junkie that does not like analytics. I think it is so boring. Yeah. And part of why I think it's boring is it's very to use a journalism term like inside baseball like this yeah. is not there. Are, this is beyond so many people. Yeah. What who are how are we gaining fans through this? Right. <laughs> and why are we making people care about, you know, the outcome of right. something? Um, when you asked me earlier, you know, am I a fan? OK, so I, I grew up a really big Gonzaga basketball fan. Basically, everyone knows this is it's not a secret. And... Uh, I was at the PK-80, the big invitational Nike basketball tournament that was held at the beginning, uh, Thanksgiving weekend with college basketball teams in Portland. And long story short, I was having a really rough day and I was just not in a good mental space. And Dan Dickow, who was mm. the point guard yeah. for one of the Gonzaga teams, yeah, I remember. saw I remember. me and I, I know him and stuff and came like made a point to come over and say hi to me and introduce me to his little boy. And he's like, oh, I know you're at USA Today now because I had been at Sports Illustrated and then been laid off. Um, and, you know, if you need anything, like, feel free to call me. And I was just like, oh, my gosh, of course a zag would make me feel better today. And it's just one of those, like, you know, I still remember reading the Sports Illustrated story about Dan Dickow, like yeah. that type of thing.
0: Yeah, which is excellent. I, I love that. I wish, I feel like there's so many parallels to church on this because so many churches that to me are either boring or just ineffective or they're just dying and there's plenty of those out there, <laughs> are churches that are just speaking to the insiders, that know a church speak, that knows yeah. how to just recirculate the same information to the same people, um, kind of the same party line sort of speak, but can't make anything... If you can't make it compelling to someone outside of your worldview or outside of your belief system, then why why yeah. is it valuable? That's well, kind of... What, I mean, I'm, that's how I... Think about it. You, know. you
1: will totally appreciate this. I don't know if I've told you this. You know, I was someone that I became a Christian when I was 12 or 13 and super into it in high school, but kind of in the way that it's kind of cool to be into it in high school sometimes. Okay. All right. Went to college, really like lost my faith for a lot of reasons. And kind of what brought me back around was George Fox University. A friend of mine was on hmm. the basketball team there. And... I would go up to watch her play all the time. Obviously that's a Christian school. And um, just being around all these people that had this awesome faith but were willing to engage in conversations about a variety of things and could always bring it back to Jesus in some way is sort of what made me like think, hmm maybe this is for me again.
0: Yeah, but not but in a like a I don't know how you could say it sincere, authentic way.
1: Yeah. Well yeah. what is what not is it forcing that you say it, like yeah. you always you don't want to feel in a, in a church setting, you don't want to feel like you have to believe in order to belong. Oh yeah. Right right.
0: Belong before you believe. Yeah. 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 And you I always, I always felt that about
1: Fox. It's just
0: oh wow. That well, that's place. really awesome. Yeah. That's a super healthy culture. That's really, that's really fantastic. I, here's a, qu- I'm going to stir the pot a little bit. Okay. And I, <laughs> I know, I know I might get a little bit out of you on this one, but you, you brought up the whole dimension, and I think there's all kinds of reasons I could analyze churches for why they do what they do, um, you know, what kind of, whether it's pathologies or anxieties or stuff that's that's causing the church to be to shrink and become internally focused versus actually think about the needs that are outside of them. But as you think in the sports world, I'm, I'm almost wondering, you're thinking about all these statisticians kind of guys, just numbers, uh, do you think any of that has to do with just the overwhelming dominance of the male voice prerogative brain? In the sports journalism field, I know these are generalizations. Yeah, but I
1: mean, I, I think you can argue that. Like, certainly being a woman, you bring a different perspective. Um, you know, the example I always give on this is when I, I used to cover the Ducks for the Oregonian, mm-hmm. and uh, back when LaMichael James and Kenyon Barner both played for them. And Washington State was coming to Eugene, and the year before at Washington State, Kenyon Barner had been knocked out on a punt return or a kickoff return, like completely knocked unconscious, taken Mm -hmm. to the hospital. And um, so when Washington, so everyone was writing about Kenyon Barner when Washington State was coming back. And I called my editor and I said, okay, we're going to write a profile on him too, but we're going to do something different. We're going to call his mom. Like I want to tell the story through her eyes. Like that's, you know, a lot of moms, and I know this because I have a mom and I have two younger brothers. Right. A lot of moms struggle with letting their sons play football. And I wondered, did she struggle with that? And what was that like? And I got this great, stuff out of her and I wrote uh, a different piece than a lot of my male colleagues but I mean for me and probably part of this is because we have not been as focused on diversity as we should be. Most of my favorite sports writers are men who do tell like incredible sure. yeah, human stories. I don't stories. think it's inherent
0: to women Right, yeah, right. But, but, uh, I,
1: but I do think yeah that we...
0: But due to the general differences sometimes between men and yeah. women there's an underrepresentation of a way of thinking and a perspective. And I
1: think too that we're all as we go as we were talking earlier about you know the selfishness like there are some writers who are really into stats and so I'm like oh my gosh let's write about this i'm like you guys what does that appeal to other people though like let's yeah. what appeals to other people like think think outside yourself i, right. I try to be and really not just conscious people of like that. you
0: there's always, there's people like you yeah granted for sure. yeah but let's try to. There's more than open that. Open it
1: up. Yeah, I try. I try really, really hard, and I fail at it constantly. But I still try really hard to constantly keep perspective, and be thinking. You know, when I got laid off, that was really hard. That was really scary.
0: You got like, laid off from Sports Illustrated. Yeah, yeah, in
1: May. But it's like there are people that get laid off that have to go home and feed their children, and you know, make a much bigger mortgage payment than me, or that are in significant debt. And so I'm like okay, I lost my job and that stinks, but like I'm still better off than a lot of people and sure. I need to be grateful for that. So yeah. I think just keeping perspective in every way possible is really yeah. important.
0: Yeah. I think those are incredible things that not only make you good at what you do, but I oh, wish thanks. there was a whole lot more of them uh. in every industry for that matter, um, not, not just yours, but certainly for those where communication is involved, shaping culture as hands-on directly as this is. I certainly wish it was true in my industry. And, uh, and I hope it becomes more true in yours. I'm interested to talk a little bit more about uh, so this transition you had <laughs> yes. not that long ago. Um, and so I know Faith and your journey uh, with your career and where it started with Sports Illustrated, which, which was a dream of yours. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, anyone that grew up in our era, like I was a child of the 80s and 90s right. for sure. And yeah, sports, that was a thing, you know, before any apps were involved, even before SportsCenter really took off and was as epically huge. Yeah. Um, that was, I mean, that was, the, that was the thing. Um, and so here you are, you're coming out of college and mm-hmm. you get yourself a job with sports illustrated and tell us a little bit about how that journey went,
1: went, <laughs> well, it's funny. Cause as you're saying that, I'm thinking it was really my career journey. That's when I really got to know you and Hannah. Well, that's right.
0: Yeah. We met you.
1: Because I was struggling During. in my career journey, and I was desperate for <laughs> And help. that's when you
0: find the pastor.
1: No kidding. Yeah.
0: I um, rarely meet people when they're just doing awesome, and everything's great, I re- and they have just <laughs> buckets of cash extra lying around they couldn't figure out what to do with. And
1: I distinctly remember, I, out, I don't I know if you that? do, but I remember when I wrote you an email, and I, I said at the top, like, I don't mean to just, like, completely, like, just have no sense of boundaries or just, like, share all my personal problems with you, but I'm sure that happens to you a lot, so blah, 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 blah.
0: <laughs> and it's true.
1: At the end. Can you help me and yeah, it's true um yeah okay so went to school at oregon state graduated 2009 recession is still going on tough to get a job long story short i worked a few jobs kept freelancing got hired at the oregonian where i had worked as a freelancer for a long time in 2010 had a wonderful experience. Love everyone there. I mean, it wasn't perfect, but I just, I, I was so happy. Um, and then had this, okay, it's time for something new. Like just kind of had that itch. Like it's Mm -hmm. something, there's something next. It had been my dream to write for sports illustrated since I was 10 years old. I mean, it's in my yearbooks, you know, everyone knew. Oh yeah. Everyone knew it about me. I used to talk about it. I'm going to write for SI someday. And I, I was actually in Hawaii. I like how Hawaii is like a dominant part of this conversation. I was in Hawaii when I got the phone call with the job oh, offer. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. And so I went there and <clears throat> I feel like I need to say this uh, up front. I want to be honest without violating the terms of my severance agreement. Yeah, please don't do that. <laughs> but, the, you know. It just wasn't a good fit. Yeah, <clears throat> And I, I was talking about it actually today with a coaching friend and she was asking me how my job at USA Today is. And I said, oh, I'm so happy. And a big part of that is I know my role. I understand my role, you know, from like a team perspective. I know what I need to do to be considered valuable and I know what I need to do to help the team win. Mm-hmm. And those things were never clear cut at SI for a lot of different reasons. I don't necessarily think it's anyone's fault. But I was extraordinarily unhappy yeah, and had, you know, I work in an industry that is not thriving, unfortunately, in in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and just, I mean, yeah, a lot of, there are a lot of places online that you can write, but that doesn't mean they're making money. That's true. You know, people are doing layoffs constantly and that became something I had severe anxiety about. Um, I was basically tipped off that I was going to be laid off, and then I wasn't laid off. Mm. But as a result of that, I had panic attacks for about a year and a half. Yeah. And it was horrible. (laughs) Um, And I was, and for me, from a faith perspective, what I was struggling with was like, is God mad at me? Is he punishing me for something, mm-hmm. which I think is a very Americanized way of thinking with reward punishment.
0: Yeah. It's, you know, it's very common. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: And, um, I remember Allie Eller, uh, one of our great city Good people friends, yeah. telling mm-hmm. me like, why, why do you think that that's how it works? Like, just cause you're struggling, it doesn't mean he's mad at you or he's punishing you. Um, and you know, this is what I had wanted my whole life. And I remember when I, went to SI okay yeah it was kind of a no-brainer to go but I prayed about it a lot first I I didn't just accept on the spot you know I tried to be I think a lot about when I'm praying about things you know God like I want this but only if it's your will and I really try to mean that yeah (laughs) it's hard but um anyway so it was just not good yeah and I mean, you know, I cried in your office a fair amount.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, in my yeah, around my dining table, <laughs> yeah. you know, my wife was, and I. I was over... crying
1: a lot. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, a lot, a of, lot of, of meals,
1: a lot yeah, of places, with my family, of and lots, lots of tears. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> I joke all the time that the first time I actually like opened up about it to someone who's actually a colleague of mine now at USA Today, who I've known forever, because one thing that's hard is, you know, I first of all there are. At Grace City, the church that I am like involved in, there were not a lot of women who worked. So that was right. one thing that was challenging. Yeah, a
0: lot of young families. So yeah, moms. Are so
1: they don't work outside of the most. home. They yeah, yeah. they work but in the home, which is a lot time. harder, and I'm mm-hmm. aware of. But and then I have depends a depends
0: on the kids. <laughs> that is just a, okay, a well. universal statement. I realize not all kids <laughs> right. are equally challenging. But um, shout out to all the moms for sure.
1: But um. I have a really high-pressure job, and a lot of people didn't understand that. And hmm. that was, you know, people, oh, it'll be okay. or And I said to a friend one time, I go, I can't just, I'm not a barista at Starbucks. I can't just transfer to a new location. Like, I have a job that one of 50 people in the country have, and if I don't do it well, they're putting me on the waiver wire. And that I was in a horrible, horrible headspace. And as a result, like... You know not doing good work my dog is
0: yeah any occasional bumping (laughs) of the table uh if this isn't something cool to make you like Lindsay even more her dog's name is Lupin after Harry Potter named after her favorite character in Harry Potter which uh my my boys and I read all the Harry Potters together so we're big fans and uh, um I remember one of your
1: one of your boys I don't remember which one I was like, why would you name him after that character? <laughs> and I'm like, what are you talking about? He's so underappreciated. <laughs> Luke, come here.
0: Yeah, it takes a bit more of a, a, a nuanced journalistic perspective to, <laughs> to claim that one is your favorite. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, yeah, anyway. so, so you know, at what kind of a relationship at this point do you have with your job at SI for it to induce... I mean, lots of jobs are tough, lots of jobs lack clarity, lots of jobs require a lot of hours, lots of jobs have uncertainty. Um, but all those factors together, like what, what is it that really drove that level of Because I know tons of people relate to this.
1: Um, I what think- was it for you? I mean you want to talk about you know when i said oh we worship athletes and this and that i mean i worship that place Mm. i put it on such a high pedestal and i see now that that's not healthy and that you will always be let down whatever it is you know you build it up to be so big and um I kept think. I remember I would think all the time, like I have a job that so many people work so hard for their entire careers. Like that's you know the pinnacle, one of the pinnacles, you know. Um, and I and I'm just miserable, and yeah. I felt guilty about not liking it. Yeah. And I mean, and it was it was weird too because I remember you and I having this conversation about um, fear, and I think when you're a overachiever, highly motivated person. Fear can be a motivator.
0: It is, yeah. It's very useful. It really is. And
1: then, as Not you taught Not always in positive ways. No, but, yeah. it flips on you, and it can consume you very quickly. Mm-hmm. And that is exactly what happened to me. Uh, I had used fear all the time as this thing to push me, and I did really good work, and then it took over my life. Yeah. And I was in a very weird space where it's, like I, it's almost like an out-of-body experience. I could see fear is dominating my life and I don't want it to, but I don't know how to make it stop Mm -hmm. and just being in, in that space. And, you know, there's nothing like living alone to let your mind go some very bad places. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, um, and then struggling with is, is God trying to tell me I'm not good enough to do this job. Mm. Um, I've always had these really big ambitions and is God saying, that's not the plan. And I remember again, Allie Eller, Allie, I love Allie. I've leaned on her a lot during this time. Um, she said to me, you know, whatever your dreams are, like God has even bigger dreams for you. Mm. And that was when I said to her, well, my dream is to be one of the great writers of my generation. So I'm not, <laughs> I'm not lacking in ambition. <laughs> like, so all of those things were, and it was, and I remember too, like when i when I finally opened up to a, a colleague, because the, the other thing is like, okay, I have this really high pressure job. There aren't a lot of, People that I know that are in the same position as I am professionally in my career who also have a faith because that was I was struggling with work and I was struggling with my faith and I wanted to be able to talk about both those things. And I wasn't that was really hard for me um, to find someone. And and when I finally opened up to this friend, he said to me, he's like, you know, Lindsay, you you think that all of these qualities you have that make you a good writer are going to go away if you lose your job. But that's not true. Like, Uh,
0: that's really good.
1: Yeah. And that was, that was, you know, when I, he's like, you, your identity, you're finding your identity in your job, but that's not real. And we, you know, it took me a long time to understand that. And it's something I still struggle with. I think especially it's easy. Like if you have a cool job, I mean, I have a really cool job that people, Oh, my God. I remember, you know, I would tell people, oh, yeah, I, I write at Sports Illustrated. And they'd be like, oh, my gosh. It would kill to write at Sports Illustrated. And I'd be like, I would be happy to trade yeah. you right now.
0: Okay. <laughs> right now.
1: Want to trade? <laughs> yeah. And um, I was just in a, uh, I, I just felt so much pressure that, because I was so scared of losing my job because we were doing layoffs. And right before I did get laid off, I remember I was listening to a podcast, a media podcast mm-hmm. and this guy who's three years younger than me I think three or four years younger was like well I'm so I was 30 when I got laid off I'm 31 now who's like well I'm 26 and I know the reality is you're gonna get laid off at some point in this industry and I was like I am like (laughs) I had not made that made a piece with that and then it happened like 10 days later yeah
0: yeah it's so important to to really clarify who you are and if who you are is being defined by Sports Illustrated you're, you're in a whole world of hurt right there because right. You, you ride the high of being hired by them and the prestige of the business card of the job title or, mm-hmm. or whatever or whatever comes with that. But then um, you'll rise with what they give and then you'll die by what they take from you.
1: Yeah. And, you know, what's interesting is that before all this had happened, I had been really interested in the question What does it mean to honor God in your job? And that's something I'm still actually like really fascinated to talk about with people, because if you're a pastor or if you're a teacher or a doctor, it seems pretty obvious to me. But like at the end of the day, I sit in a press box and I watch 400 pound men slam into each other giving each other t- severe head trauma. <laughs> how do you honor God in that? Like, And then I write about it um, and glorify it. Um, how do you honor God in that? What does that mean? And that was a question that I had been asking a lot of people right before things got bad, which to me really just reinforces like that God is always in control because I think walked me through all that so I could maybe learn part of the answer to that. Yeah.
0: I think what's really important out of that is that you were you were asking the right questions in the midst of the process, right? And uh, I'm really curious, where do you land there? Because that, that is kind of the old, I don't know if you could call it cliche, but that's just the idea of like, I'm not a pastor or I'm not a missionary. I'm not a nurse. I'm not a, you know, whatever uh, nonprofit worker, I'm not something that fits into a neat category of I'm adding social value yeah. to the world. <laughs> I'm a you know, I'm a plumber, you're a sports writer, uh, I'm a you know, an investment baker, something like that. Mm-hmm. What does my occupation have to do with the contribution? Um, towards the kingdom of God would be Jesus's language, mm-hmm. and where like where do you like I have my theological answers and my biblical answers and stuff I talk about all the time, but you're the one that actually works in those industries, not me. So I'm really interested yeah. where, you, where you are with this.
1: Well, first of all, it sounds like I should ask you for what the what your theological and biblical <laughs> answers are. So to me, like what I took away from it was at one point I was really struggling and I was on the phone with a mentor of mine, crying. Of course, there were a lot of tears during. I was That's like right. actually dehydrated at one point. I had, it was bad. And uh, he said to me, what's your favorite part of the job? And I said, the relationships that you build with people that you write about and meet um, Mm -hmm. other writers. And he said, "Okay, you have to take you have to hold on to that and let go of everything else. And so I tried as best I could. And I prayed about that a lot and through a lot of prayer and a lot of talk and a lot of reading my Bible what I sort of took away from that is, you know, that's Jesus calls us to be relationally based yep. and to be a constant witness. And what does that mean? And what does that look like? Mm. And so I just tried to be really focused on relationships in and outside of work. And, you know, when I, um, as we were talking earlier about Tua, uh, last night I was cleaning my kitchen in preparation of having guests over. <laughs> and, uh, I got a text message from Tua's aunt who I haven't talked to Mm -hmm. in probably close to a year. And she said, hey, Lindsay, uh, we've just been thinking about you a lot. We wanted to say thank you for that incredible story you wrote on our family. So many people have read it in the past couple days. And we just really love that you were there to write about him and part of that church gathering we had and um I just thought like this is what it's about, you know, those type of relationships. And there are people that I've written about that have become friends. Yeah. Um and you know, I was just in Knoxville. Um I flew to Atlanta and then I had a day, so I drove to Knoxville. It's like three hours and I sat down with Rick Barnes, the okay. Tennessee basketball coach, yeah. who used to coach at he was the coach at Texas Forever, coached Lamarcus Aldridge, TJ Ford, okay. Kevin Durant and Um, we were talking about his kind of journey because basically things did not end at Texas the way he wanted. And then he wound up at Tennessee and I was asking him something about what's the difference now? What did you learn in that? And he said, you know, my entire identity became my job. And when I was at Texas and I realized that's not what it's about, like I need to find my identity in Christ. And it was funny because the whole time he was talking, I was like, oh my gosh, I can so identify with this. (laughs) I want to be able to talk to him about this. And we actually did after I turned off my recorder and was done asking, you know, all these questions for a piece I'm writing. We had a really mm-hmm. good, just like believer to believer talk, yeah, um, and yeah, and it was incredible. And I think that's that's what it's about, and being able to, you know, talk about it with people. I wrote a piece um, last; it's 2018 now. Okay, so for the 2016 Olympic Games. I wrote a really big piece on English Gardner, a sprinter from... She uh, ran track collegiately at University of Oregon, but she's one of the best sprinters in the world. Okay. And she had dealt with really severe anxiety for very much Mm. uh, a similar... Got this job she had always wanted. She was a professional sprinter, and she started to have panic attacks. She felt this enormous pressure. She wasn't performing well in her own head. And when she kind like kind of said something in the side like almost as an aside in our interview I was like oh wait and then we talked about it and I could just really identify with her and I wrote a really good piece on her and on that struggle I think because I understood it so I understood the questions yeah. to ask and so I think like that and a, another writer said to me you know I never could have written like that I don't think I could have get her gotten her to talk like you did. And I said, well, I had a lot of panic attacks at a recent <laughs> period in my life. So we were kind of able to bond over that. Yeah. So I think those type of things is, I don't know if that answered your question. It answers my, <laughs> I, it,
0: I think it beautifully answers my question because I think what it does is get down to, I mean, if you take that mindset into any career, you're going to, you are, you're going to honor God. You're going to, whatever language you want to use, honor, glorify, yeah. and, you know, advance God's kingdom. That's exactly what's going to happen as a result. I uh, obviously, unless it's some kind of illicit activity, you know, and you're pimping or you're, you know, you're selling drugs <laughs> and something like that, you know, that that may not that that probably won't honor God. <laughs> but I think whether you are you're you, you are you're a plumber, you're a construction worker, you know, you're a, you know, you're know you a lawyer, you're, you're that banker or whatever else or or the sports journalist. I think there's there's something that you bring to the table. It's about presence. It's about who you are and Christ in you and what you're bringing into those environments and then what you're spreading through your work. And obviously you're spreading like human connectivity and solidarity and understanding Mm -hmm. and these stories being spread, uh, which to me is just a vision of the future that Christ is ultimately one to reconcile all things. And you get small little slivers of that where we can truly identify with each other for now in our brokenness, you know, but Mm -hmm. hopefully one day we'll be united and something that's actually glorious and really beautiful and yeah. awesome at the same time um which i think is super super cool but there's yeah. a lot of pain in that right. process which is kind of the point of this podcast we call it church in the wild because you you're having to live out your faith in a wilderness sort of context where i life figured it isn't was named
1: easy. after the kanye song
0: you know, <laughs> truth be told <laughs> Everyone that knows me knows I that I knew. am the real Trim Shady, and so there is a little hip hop runs in my veins. Yes, I figured. Yeah, so I'm just. This was my small ploy to get Jay Z on the podcast someday. Hey,
1: dream big, Seth. I'm just.
0: I just want to be the best podcaster <laughs> of my generation. That's my only life goal right now. No, uh,
1: I, I. You're totally right, and you know, I think about. Um, again, Mike Riley is someone I learned a lot from, and I'll never forget. I was. I wrote a really big piece on him years ago, like this very revealing profile, and. He told me that every single morning he prays for his whole team by name. First of all, that's a lot of people that's, to remember. No, that's over 100 guys for those
0: of you not familiar <laughs> yeah. with college football. Yeah. Plus
1: his support staff and whatnot. And that's he said right. he, he prays for two things. He prays, number one, that they would make good decisions. And number two, that they would recognize what they're doing is a lot more about football. Lot mo- a lot more about, than football. Yeah, a lot yeah. more than football. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I just... I have never heard Mike in a public sphere talk about his faith mm-hmm. in the way that, oh, God wanted us to win this game more than the other team. I can't say sure. when people say yeah. that. You'll um, never hear
0: him say, I want to thank my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You'll yeah. never see him Tebow or anything like <clears throat> right, that. Yeah, absolutely. Right.
1: Absolutely. And, um, and I'm not
0: knocking that. That's just not No, him. that's yeah. just not
1: who he is. Yeah. Um, it's actually interesting to me. I I had this discussion a few weeks ago in a press box with a group of reporters who were like, he's a Christian? I said, yeah, he goes, they're like, wow, I've I've never heard him talk about it. I'm like, you guys, but look at how he lives his life, yeah. first of all. You know, like And
0: you're just not asking the right questions either. Yeah, yeah no, you could kidding. get it out of him.
1: And so that's so I, I just try to think about that a lot. I think about the the I just imagine like when Mike Riley dies that and he sees Jesus, Jesus' is just gonna be like, Well done, my faithful servant. And like high five him, you know, someone yeah. that and so I, I tried to think about people like that who even you know when they sucked when Oregon State was losing a lot of games like Mike still showed up to work every single day was the same person and so I I tried to think about those type of things and what does it mean and and you know what like yeah I have a really cool job but that's like you said that's not what it's about and that shouldn't be I don't I don't want that to be the first line of my obituary yeah you know right so that's but it's hard and it's it's easy to get caught up in worldly things. It is. And it's yeah. just, it's a. I feel like it's gonna be a lifelong struggle for me.
0: <laughs> it's a journey, it's yeah. a lifelong journey, and we're all in it the same. So I'm wondering if you could kind of close out with a, a couple, like your best wisdom at this point in the journey <laughs> for someone to listen out there. First of all, if to someone, you know, you've told so many stories of a lot of really compelling and interesting people, you know, done a lot of really cool things, but there's a lot of people out there that don't feel like they have a story that matters. Um, what would you say to someone like that for someone, in my opinion, has done, you know, about as much work with telling people stories as anyone else I know?
1: Oh, I think everyone has a story. Everyone has something that makes them stand out. It's not about being different because sometimes I think we can say that in a mean way, uh, something that they will overcome and it can feel, sometimes you, you overcome something and then years later, you're like, I can't believe I was so upset about that. But in that moment, it feels so huge to you and someone else can identify with that. Yeah. Maybe someday. it's going to
0: connect you somehow. 100%. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: And, or even I think about sometimes you can be going through something that, you know, maybe 10 years down the road, you're like, Oh, that wasn't a big deal. But the relationships you built in that time that have yeah. carried on yeah. So I would just say that if you've overcome anything, which you have, and, you know, stay-at-home moms, right? Like, sometimes for them it's just getting through the day. (laughs) That's a monumental task. That's a story. Um, And I think that the great thing is we live in an era with the Internet where you can go find someone else who feels that way. And, you know, um, one of my favorite writers is Lin-Manuel Miranda. He wrote Hamilton and Mm -hmm. he's written a lot of Mm -hmm. other musicals. And he talks about, like, the way you make a writer is... You put you put someone in a situation time and time again where they just feel a little bit out of place. Yeah. And then they write about that. And maybe someone else feels like, oh, I felt out of place, too. And now I connect with this person. And that's what I think all the best writing does. Mm. And that's what I think about. Just you want to make people feel like not alone. And if if that's, you know, whatever you're going through, someone else has gone through some version of that and you can bond over it. That's a story.
0: Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. My journey, even over, uh, becoming the pastor of Grace City church where I lead now, um, it went through some really rough times. I took it over as basically a Hail Mary to use the football <laughs> metaphor. It was close the church or give me a chance were the two options on the table. And since,
1: wow, I didn't know that.
0: Yeah. And since I was just
1: thinking we should reverse the roles and I should have to interview you for mm, your podcast may, at some point,
0: well, maybe someday. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, that, those were the two options on the table. And so when those are the two options, it's kind of like, well, like, we can't, we literally can't do any <laughs> worse. You know, we either shut it down now or give them a couple months and shut it down later. Um, and out of that trial, out of that really difficult time and uh, just amazing work that God did to kind of revive and restore the church, it was in that time where things were really hard. Um, there was a lot of pain, anxiety, a lot of rejection. Um And stepping in to deal with a lot of pain, not all of it that I'd caused by any means, but just stepping into other people's stories and pain, it was really tough. But it was in that time that God aligned me with some of my best friends Mm -hmm. and key mentors that have shaped me now. I'm not in that season anymore, but I would have never, not only built relationships with these guys, that I never would have gone to the depths of who I am today because of those relationships without that season.
1: You know what? I I have to say this. I, I thought about this earlier. Um... When I was really struggling, sometimes I would try to talk about it with people and they would say like within like the other people who had a faith and they'd say, oh, God has a plan. And I remember saying, which time is like the talk-
0: worst thing you ever want to hear. I, and I said to my best friend, I go, that
1: does not make me feel better. I know. And my best friend said, you know, Lindsay, it's OK if you find your faith in complexity. Some people find their f- faith in simplicity and reduction. And and when Mm. they hear God has a plan, it makes them feel better. She said, it's okay. It's okay. If you're the opposite. And for me, it really, and it was because my faith grew so much because I, I needed answers. You know, the journalists in me had to keep digging. And then, uh, Michelle Smith, another mutual friend, uh, from grace city likes to call it, likes to say, I have an investigative faith, which I love. And what's crazy is that I go through all this, you know, it was, I mean, I'm not exaggerating when I say for two years, I got down on my knees and begged God, please take this anxiety out of my life Mm -hmm. and just struggling and felt very, very alone. And then I get laid off Yeah. and it was scary, but I just remember being like, okay, God, you've got a plan. Yeah. And I trust you. And I felt weird almost because I was like... C-
0: was it real when you're saying that? Oh, I mean Oh, totally.
1: It- yeah. And it was bizarre to me because I was like, two years ago, this yeah, was not a good not enough possible. answer. You
0: can maybe mouth the words, but never feel and it I, in your heart.
1: And I just felt this... And I remember because you and I talked right after I got laid off, I felt peace and relief. And just I just remember I kept saying, like, I trust you. Wow. I trust you. And it was hard. You know, I was, I was unemployed for five months and there were... A couple different points when things got you know when I was questioning and doubting which I think everyone goes through but it, at the core of it it was okay I trust you and now I'm in this job that I really really like and for a lot of reasons I think I have a well-defined role I'm doing more basketball which I love I have awesome coworkers and colleagues and I just feel like walked me through this and it was really hard, but now I'm here. But also like, this isn't the end, you know, it
0: could, there could be another dip somewhere. It could look very different, but it's probably going to be something sometime.
1: And I I think about, I don't know if you remember this, but one time I said to you something about, um, well, don't we get all the answers like when we die and like eventually (laughs) there's heaven, you know? Because I'm thinking like, from a journalist's perspective, I'm like, I'm going to need some one-on-one time in the throne room. I have a lot of follow-up questions. (laughs) I'm I'm a five on the
0: Enneagram, so I got lots of questions that I've been thinking about for a lot of years, yeah.
1: And one thing I love about journalism is, Tua is a great example of this. This is going to close this out perfectly. Uh, One thing I think about a lot is when you're writing about someone, you have to, what is the story I'm writing right now? Mm -hmm. Maybe there are all these other awesome things about them, but we can write about that later. And there's nothing like, kind of going with someone on their journey and getting to the point you know where they're going to the nfl going to the super bowl and you know them better than anyone else and you just keep getting to tell another chapter of that story and it's kind of cool to me to think about that like that's what our faith is like and that's what god's like where it's just constantly another chapter and learning a little bit more about who god is what he wants from us, like all those things. So that's the the journalist in me when I I put that spin on it is like, oh, this is kind of exciting. It
0: is exciting. There's so many things that we value, whether it's a career trajectory, whether it's finances or security or possessions. Um, But, yeah, the scriptures talk about faith, which is more valuable than gold or anything else. We just have such a low economy Mm. for the for trust, for what trust in God really means and looks like, like how much eternal weight that matters. And the fact that God prioritizes that, right. even when it means the pain and sacrifice that can come in the process, um, when he is a God of love and cares about you like more than you care about yourself, all that to be true. It just shows he, he really cares that faith must really matter. Right. Um, and to arrive at a moment where you could say, I trust you. I think that's all that He's wanting to be real in our lives because I think it, it has the biggest ramifications, not just for now, but forever. Yeah. And maybe not having all the answers. And maybe we do. Like, But I, I think it's irrelevant when you trust him. It's a whole different ballgame.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, I think that's the point of the whole thing. Well, I think that's a great point to uh, press pause on this. But this would sure be fun to do again someday.
1: I'm game. I work from home. I have a flexible schedule. (laughs)
0: Yeah. And, Lindsay, so you are you launching a podcast? Is this the rumor that I hear?
1: Oh, yes. Okay. So uh, when I was at Sports Illustrated, I had a college football podcast with one of my wonderful coworkers there. And then going to usa today i was like well i want to do a basketball podcast and i wanted to do something different and for me i'm really fascinated by leadership um i think that's part of the other reason you and i get along well is because i just like to ask you questions constantly about like what do you do in this yeah, situation
0: you're, you're just a reporter yeah.
1: <laughs> have you do you remember when i was like have you ever kicked anyone out of church what does that look like <laughs>
0: <laughs> Not um, what i'm thinking about it now actually like, no
1: just joking um so I, and I'm fascinated by how are people shaped and who shapes people. So this is a long way of saying that I am launching a podcast at USA Today uh, where I talk with coaches about the coach who changed their life.
0: That is so cool.
1: And it's cool because some co- for some coaches, it's another like well-known coach. Uh, Tom Izzo from Michigan State talked about Judd Heathcote, who coached at Michigan State mm-hmm. Forever and who's very mm-hmm. well-known. And then for other people, like when I talked with Rick Barnes, it was... In the seventh grade, he his sister died very suddenly, and his seventh grade basketball coach kind wow. of walked him through that period of his life. Yeah. And that inspired him to want to be a coach. Yeah, So I'm, so cool. I'm excited.
0: I'm so cool. Lindsay, we're going to make sure that uh, everything someone might need to find that podcast, all your social media and everything else, if people just want to follow you or learn more about you.
1: That's very kind.
0: Well, we include all of that. Thank you so much for your time, Lindsay. This has been really fun.
1: Of course, thank you.